Thanks so much for being here this morning and, and being a part of Outward Church, for coming on uh, your special day, dads, and uh, for uh, just hanging out with us. Um, we do have dad's root beer um, out at uh, the Connect Bar, and uh, which uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a bar in a church, but this is the first time, uh, for us anyway, that, uh, that we're doing that. So um, pushing the envelope a little bit. Um, in any case, I, I wanted to just share a, an update with you. I think it was it was either I think it was two weeks ago actually that we told you about a single mom that is in our church that is um, that her her car caught on fire, a Ford Exploder, and um, she um, it was a complete loss. Lost the car seat, had lost a, a couple days of, of work and so forth. And so, without her knowing, we communicated this to the church, and you guys responded. Let me tell you how you responded. There was, uh, within just a very short amount of time, in fact, immediately after the church, uh, the service, we had more car seats than she needed, um, and other things as well. And so, but we also raised $700 immediately. Um, we, uh, we had another family come forward and said, uh, we are out of town for two weeks, and so uh, we, the, she can have our car for the next two weeks while she's trying to figure that out. That was incredible. Um, we also gave her some cash uh, for her bills. Um, uh, we gave her $600 from the general fund as well towards her car, and we bought her another $2,000. Um, she was driving a 1996 Ford Explorer. We got her a, a 2000 Ford Explorer, and with power everything and, um, and stuff like that. And so uh, can we just give Jesus a hand for what he's doing? I mean, uh, listen, uh, the church in Acts, the early church, gave up their stuff for other people. They met needs. There was nobody... Who, who had a need that wasn't being fulfilled by the church. And so you guys have done that, and you've been a part of that. And I, obviously, this isn't the first time we've done this, but we can really celebrate what God has done through that. I'm incredibly excited about that as well. Um, I also want to tell you about uh, Feed the Need. Feed the Need is a, an event that we'll be having on July 10th. It'll be here immediately after service. There will be flyers available out at Connect Central or the Connect Bar. Um, you can pick up a handful to pass out um, here in, in the city. Here's what's happening, is that we have, um, we have multiple food trucks that are coming. We'll have bounce houses. We're inviting the community to this. The tips for the food trucks will go towards, um, uh, let's, uh, we'll go, I'm sorry, we'll go towards Richmond Elementary uh, and the, the food program there that we have, which is a uh, uh, backpack Buddies, I think is what they have called it, and we've just kind of picked that up. And so we're, those funds are going towards that. Cascade Door, the door company that is attached to us right here, they are sponsoring it. We have Adam's Ribs, who is a big part of this. They've helped us set, set this up. Gilgamesh will be here as well uh, with their stuff. That's going to be awesome. And uh, so we have an exciting uh, thing going on here. We want to in invite you to invite uh, your friends, neighbors, coworkers. This is for the community, and ultimately, it fulfills part of our vision, which is to love Jesus and to live outward. So, as a church, are we doing things just for ourselves? No, we do things for our community, and we want to serve our community. We, we want to help things that are that are good for our community, and so that's uh, what we're what we're doing through this event. And hopefully, that's going to raise additional funds, even just beyond the tips, and uh, and. An awareness of what these uh, kids are going through, many of them going home, maybe not having the food that they need, some of them even um, suffering from neglect because parents are using the funds for, for other things rather than uh, buying food uh, for their kids. Not all of them, of course, are, are that way, but some of them. And so we're excited to be putting on that event. Um, so I want to get into uh, a couple things. One is uh, today's Father's Day, so I want to talk about dads. Um, I also, I mean, just a heavy event happened this last week. In fact, Sunday morning, early Sunday morning uh, last week, uh, there was a, a massive sh shooting uh, down in Florida, Orlando, Florida. I'm actually from Florida. And so uh, it's pretty horrific uh, to understand what took place there. Um, there are uh, 49 lives that were lost as a result of this. Uh, I think 50, including uh, the gunman. Um, this was a murderous rage uh, toward people who've been created in the image of God, people who have dignity, worth, and value simply because they're human beings. 
And so as Christians, uh, what can be difficult about this and what our big problem has been in the past has been because we stand in disagreement uh, with a lifestyle that then somehow um, the absurd notion can be communicated or thought that maybe they, they, perhaps they got what they deserved. And that is, that is awful, that's sinful, uh, that's hate, uh, that there, nothing of that belongs in our thought processes or in our minds. Those are things that we need to repent of. But one of the things that we need to do is that we need to understand something, and that is that, um, that these people um, deserve our love, uh, our care. We should be people who are mourning and, and weeping with, with them. Now, the, the, the issue then comes up, and I, and I just want to kind of unpack this for just a minute before we get into the sermon. The, the issue comes up, like this is the, it's, it's like a quadfecta. It's, not, it's more than a trifecta. It's a quadfecta of, of issues that have taken place and that will be thrust into the forefront of our minds. And, and uh, first of all, there's sexuality, uh, because you have, it, this is a gay nightclub, and so uh, most of, if, if not all of the people who were, who were murdered uh, were gay. There's sexuality, there's religion, because you have a religious nut job who walked in there believing that somehow God has called him to kill these people. And on no level, at no point, do we support that in any way whatsoever. Um, there's also uh, guns, the, the gun debate that's going to be happening, and therefore it, that takes us into politics. And so... Uh, the most hot topic issues. I'm sure we could work abortion into this as well somehow, but um, but these are pretty much most of the hot topic issues that are going on right now. And our response as Christians matters. Uh, Pastor Ryan gave a sermon last week, which was quite timely in talking about our speech and how we're talking, uh, how we're communicating online and so forth. And one of the things that matters most is, um, are we jumping onto a bandwagon really quickly about our hobby horse things? Um, let me just be clear about this, uh, that Christians, conservatives oftentimes can champion gun rights over and above their love of Jesus Christ. And so I want, I want to tell you that if, um, if everything comes apart, guns are taken away from us, and um, we're forced to live without guns in this world, that's okay because we have Jesus, okay? That's Okay. If we have Jesus, we don't, we don't need guns. I'm not saying that I believe that guns are wrong. And I, 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 there, there's probably some, some laws that need to be put in place. I'm not here to figure that out with you this morning. But I, I just, we just need to be really clear that Jesus is better than guns. But let's also be clear about something. that Jesus is better than my sexual desires. Jesus is better than what I feel. Jesus is more important than what I feel. Jesus comes in and he sacrifices himself. And so we can sacrifice our sexual desires. We can, sexual, uh, we can sacrifice our, our um, firearm desires. We can sacrifice our political desires. We can sacrifice a lot of things because we want people to know Jesus. But let me just tell you where we're at with, with this discussion right now. And, and that is that uh, Russell Moore, who's the head of the ERLC, and I don't even know what that stands for, but it's, it has something to do with the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm, I'm forgetting right now, but it's a, a policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, I should say. And he wrote an article that uh, says something like, uh, can we not weep together? Uh, I'm sorry, can we, can we still weep together after Orlando? And the assertion that he makes through that is essentially this, that, uh, all right, we disagree on some things, but we, we mourn for you, for your community, for the gay community. We mourn for you. We disagree with that lifestyle, but that in no way means that we should somehow uh, be hateful towards you, but we are weeping for you because of the loss of life, the sons and daughters and moms and dads and people that were, that were just gunned down in cold blood, people who were injured who will have effects for the rest of their life with this. This is horrific. And he wrote an article in that respect. And just with just a quick search, and I didn't do a, a ton of you know, work on this, but there was another article that is, apparently has been uh, widely shared uh, by a guy by the name of Zach Ford who's on the other side of things. And he says, no, we cannot weep together. And I, 
that is the state of this disagreement that we will have. Uh, you could call it liberal and conservative. You could call it guns and no guns. You could call it um, gay marriage and no gay marriage. But that's, that's the separation that we have. Christians are called to be people who are other than. We're, we're neither conservative nor liberal, but we're with Jesus, right? And what this means is this, is that, is that in spite of the fact that people will disagree with us on issues of morality and things like that, we are called to respond with complete love and patience and gentleness, caring for them, loving them, no matter what the response is. They can come back with what, however they feel, and, and, and that's okay. We can love them in spite of the persecution. We can love them in spite of those things. And even uh, this, this, this gentleman, uh, Zach Ford, said that he's met Russell Moore, and Russell Moore has been very kind to him and has welcomed him into gatherings um, that Russell Moore has had, and yet he still is, is pretty angry with him and so forth. So I, I want you to know this, that our country will slip further and further into this. This is not going the other direction. Our country will slip further and further away from God. Our, our country will slip further and further away from Jesus and away from even uh, moral things. But that's okay because Jesus lives. He's in control. Ultimately, he will wipe away every tear. And he will comfort every single uh, one of us here. And so we don't have to worry about these things. We have to understand that we will experience uh, persecution in this day and age. So what this means is this, is that moving forward... Uh, what this looks like for us is that we have to be sure in our minds as to what we believe about Jesus Christ. If, that, if he truly is the Son of God, then what that has, that has implications on all parts of our lives. It has implications on every aspect of our life. And it even means this, a willingness to be persecuted for the way that we believe and yet lovingly responding even when they hate us. And it also means this, when we've screwed up, when we've been hateful, when we've been bigoted in, in some ways and excluded people from things, we need to say so, we need to apologize, we need to ask for forgiveness, and we need to make restoration in that. That's what Jesus calls us to. So I wanted to address that uh, very uh, briefly, but I also, just this morning, I want to ask each one of you to just be, uh, to pray with me. Um, as we move forward, I just want to take just a, a few moments, and I don't know if you've stopped and prayed for these victims and their families, but let's do that this morning, and let's just kind of put a marker in the ground and just say we stopped and we prayed for these folks, and we want them to know and to understand the love of Jesus Christ more than anything, and they, we also want them to sense our love for them, for their families, for the gay community especially. One of my, I, uh, one, one more side note here. One of my great desires for our church is that we would be friends with the gay community in spite of our differences. I, I'm, my, one of my deepest hopes is that we, that we can say, I, I want them to be able to say about us, I don't agree with what they believe, but I agree with the way that they love us. Let's pray for that change in our city, that we would just be a shining light on a hill, um, that, that God's kingdom would be seen in and among our community. So I'm going to take, I'm going to pause for a few moments. Would you pray uh, just by yourself right here and right now? And then I will close a, that section in prayer. Let's do that now. Lord Jesus, we just, we just want to ask that you come quickly. 
God, this is, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming, just the number of shootings that there have been. It's, I, I, I do feel numb uh, to the devastation. I don't want to hear about uh, the awful stories. It, it hurts so much. God, I, I'm so angry uh, with the gunmen. I confess um, my rage inside, and that's part of the reason why I don't even I don't even want to enter into that because I'm so enraged by the cowardice that it takes to to do that. But God, I'm also reminded of my own sin and how enraged you could be with my sin and how how much grace you've given me how much mercy you've given me and how you continue to pour it out just in waves. And so, Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, this morning we want to lift up all of the families involved. Lord, for the, the police officers and their families who, who were probably aware that their loved ones were going into harm's way to uh, help victims. Lord, I'm praying for this gunman's family. I don't know what the state of, whether they were involved or not, but Lord, it doesn't matter. Lord, we pray for them. We pray for a change of heart. We pray for a changed life. We, prayed for, we pray for that they would uh, not believe the lies that, that the Father has communicated. Lord, we're praying for these individuals, for these 49 individuals who died, that I believe it's 53 who are wounded, uh, four whom I've heard are in critical condition. Oh, Lord, I, I, I can't even imagine the unimaginable sorrow that's going through this, this community right now and through these people. Um, it's no doubt, uh, doubtedly uh, echoing through our world. Lord, would you, would you heal? Would you come and, and heal? God, would, would, would they see that you exist, that you are real if they don't already? Lord, may they receive you by faith uh, through your son. God, we're praying that they would truly be comforted uh, by the one true God, Lord, that they would no longer serve themselves. Um, Lord, we're praying that for all of us, that they would no longer serve their own desires. Lord, that goes for all of us. But, Lord, that they would serve you and you alone. And God, we just, we're praying for our nation right now. Lord, we're praying for our leaders. We even pray for our president. Um, God, we're praying for wisdom, direction. Lord, we're praying for righteousness. We're praying that justice would, would flow like a river. Uh, Lord, that true justice and righteousness would come through these um, through the government that you have put in place, that, Lord, you have allowed through your sovereignty. God, you have allowed this. Lord, you've allowed even opposing parties to, to exist. Lord, you've blessed our nation in so many ways. Um, but, Lord, we're asking, we're, we're asking for, perhaps selfishly for more. But, God, we're also asking that your will would be done, Lord, that this suffering would be seen with, with purpose, that, God, somehow you've allowed this. But we have no idea why. But, Lord, I'm, I'm praying that in part that we'd understand that it's so that we'd turn to you. And so, Lord, here we are. We're turning to you. So, Lord, uh, we're asking uh, for your help to move forward. Lord, we're praying for the politicians. God, I'm praying for a church that we'd shut our mouths, would open our hearts and our eyes to the hurts that these families and these people are going through. Uh, Lord, may we bring healing words if we bring any. It's in your son's great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for uh, praying together. Uh, this morning, I'm uh, going to be in Proverbs uh, again. We're almost done with this series, and uh, I want to talk about dads, and um, I want to try and be somewhat brief this morning. It's a beautiful day. I said that last time I preached and then went very long, and so uh, we'll see if I'm lying or not. Jesus forgives, and so I'm happy for that. So um, thank you for forgiving me and coming back, even though I say things like that. One of these days I will learn not to. And, um, and so in, in any case, we're, we're talking about dads this morning. We're talking about fathers and the importance of fathers in our lives. 
And I, I, I think this morning, we, there's a couple things we need to note right out of the gate, and that is that some of you grew up without dads in your home. Um, I read a statistic that said that 40% of men uh, or of uh, children will grow up in a home or, or go to sleep in a home uh, without a dad. Uh, 40% of children without the fa- their father in the home. That's, that's incredible. That's crazy. Um, it, we, we don't understand how that affects our kids. For some reason, my microphone's hurting my ear right now. If you'll notice, like, and I, I uh, have an attention span that's very short. I, I don't know what's going on, but it's like jabbing me. It's crazy. Um, hence this. I think whoever used this last jacked it up for me. So, in any case, so we're, there's so many kids who are growing up in homes without dads, without fathers. Our society looks at that and says, that's okay, because kids can grow up, all they need is two loving people. And in in reality, we see that that's not always the case. I do know people that have grown up in uh, uh, gay homes with two moms. Uh, By God's grace, they were raised, and they are well-adjusted people. I know people who've grown up in homes without their father, didn't know their dad, or their dad didn't live with them, and they turned out fantastically. And God, by God's grace, they turned out fantastic. And their, their mom perhaps took over that role in their life, and, and somehow God has, has sought to preserve them. And so we know that there are still good things that come out of homes that don't have uh, the father there or the biological father there. By God's grace, that works. Someone takes over as dad or somehow God works this out. And sometimes uh, what we see is that we grow from this uncertainty and and the difficulty of growing up without a father. It's been said that there's been many, many presidents who did not have dads in the home. They were horrible fathers. And so these men grew up to be very independent and and in some ways self-assured, and it caused them to be great leaders. And as a result, they became president and so forth. So we've seen great things come out of that. But what we know is this, is that this is not God's original intent or design for the home. That this is not what God designed for us. And in reality, what he's designed is he's designed us to be in a home with a mom and a dad. And in, uh, specifically, the father has a huge role in making that happen. The father has a huge role in bringing about health in the home. And so dads, as, as you're thinking about your life as a father and, and what you're doing, I want to encourage you to think through this morning what your life as a father is like and what kind of concern you're showing towards your family, toward your kids. I want to begin and just read Proverbs chapter 2 in its entirety. I want to note a couple things and then uh, move on from that. So Proverbs chapter 2 verse 1 uh, begins like this. My son, okay, stop there. Um, So my son is a very common reference, common couple of words in the book of Proverbs. And so this is a father, he's speaking to a son. So in some ways, what we're seeing is we're seeing Solomon, King Solomon, speaking to his son, and he's, he's talking to him, he's communicating to him, and he's teaching him, but he does this repeatedly. So he says, my son, if you receive... My words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of, uh, of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. 
Verse 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of righteousness. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Now, I, part of the reason why I wanted to read uh, most, if not all of that, was essentially to, to say this, that in order to be a dad, all right, Josh, I told you to turn my microphone up, and now I'm, I'm getting boisterous, and, and so feel free to make adjustments. I, I'm sorry. Um, so, uh, so here's the thing. Um, that what this passage is saying is that this is the model of a father. Like, what's a father doing? A father is taking great care to look at, to study, and to talk to his kids and to say, hey, listen, you've got to understand that you've got to watch out for these things. So he's looking at his children. He's, he's hearing what's going on with them, and he's saying, hey, watch out for this and watch out for that. Watch out for these other things. This is what God created us to be. This is what God created us to be like. This is what God has created for us as fathers to replicate. So this is Solomon to his son, but this might as well be God to his children. And in reality, that's the way that we view it oftentimes, is that God is speaking to us, and he's saying, I am showing you the model of what it looks like to be a father. Let me just note a couple of things that came to my mind about how important a father is and in what areas. First of all, uh, the, the father sets the tone for spiritual growth in the home. Dads, you set the tone for spiritual growth in the home. Some of you are like, I don't have kids. It doesn't really matter to me. Listen, I, I just, I need to tell you that it does matter. It matters what you're thinking about, how you're preparing yourself for being a dad if you don't have children. Some of you may have already been fathers and kids are up and out of the house. And some of you may be thinking, you know, I did that well, or maybe I didn't do that so well, or maybe I totally screwed that up. Guess what? The father has influence over the kids still. The father can still influence his children in the way that he lives his life. But the father sets the tone for the spiritual temperature, for spiritual growth in the home. If you're not somebody who's thinking through those things and you're leaving it to your wife or you're leaving it to the church, that's abdication. That's saying, I'm going to let somebody else do my work when in reality you are fathers, you are the most important person in the home when it comes to spiritual growth. Don't forget that. A uh, large percentage of the time, much larger uh, percentage of the time when the father makes a profession of faith to Jesus Christ and lives that out, the, the family will follow. However, when the mother only does that, when the mother is only following Jesus, it's a much smaller percentage of time that the family will follow, that the kids will follow. So how are you going to lead your kids in this? What are you going to do? Uh, what does this look like? I hear this question all the time. What's it look like to lead my wife spiritually? What's it look like to lead my kids spiritually? Well, let me just tell you that I am not an expert in this. I wish that I was, but I'm not an expert in how this happens. And oftentimes, I feel like a complete failure in many ways. But let me tell you what has worked for me, and that is that I have constantly been thinking about these, these things because... It's not a one-size-fix-all type thing in leading your family, leading your kids, leading your wife, and, and, and so forth. What it really means is this, is that the way that I'm going to lead my kids is, yes, in, in regular teaching. Look at what Solomon says. He says, then you will, verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. You want your kids to say, to be able to see you say, I want to ask God what he thinks. I want to ask God for his help in my life. I want to hear from God. I need to hear from him. We need to understand what he has to say to us. And when you do that on your own, when you are legitimately 
asking God for wisdom and direction when you're legitimately saying, in more than just being a Christian in name only, more than just being somebody who's just a church attender, more than any of those things, but in reality, actual heart change that's taken place where you're saying, I, I devote myself to God, I want God in my life, through Jesus Christ, I know that I am saved, and I want that to pervade, to seek into, uh, seep into every part of my life. When that takes place, something else happens. What you're drinking in can then be regurgitated. Kind of an ugly picture, but think of a bird who eats a worm, pukes it out for his, you know, the, the kids and so forth. I mean, yes, that's ugly, but here, this is in part what you're doing. You've got to be a bird. Eat those worms. Eat those worms. Eat those worms. And then when you come back to your kids, you'll have something to give them. You'll have something to give them because it's in you. Because I have tried many times to read different things, and I... Um, I'm about to take those children down to the mission uh, by the end of Bible story time because, I mean, it's just, it's craziness. These kids are going nuts, and I'm like, holy cow. Uh, I'm about to give them each a spanking because they're not listening. But let me tell you when it does matter. Um, I, I ha have an excavator on my property, a uh, piece of machinery, and, of course, my uh, nine-year-old Marshall, he loves heavy equipment. He's learning about this. And so we, we've been doing some work with this. And so uh, the other day, I was like holding this saw and I couldn't move and it was attached to the excavator. And I was like, Marshall, I mean, this is like a rite of manhood, right? I was like, Marshall, yeah, dad, I need you to go up on the excavator. And he was like, <gasps> you know, I'm like, I need you to get on the excavator. And keep in mind, I'm right underneath the arm of this excavator. If you've ever run one of those, they move very quickly. So I say, go up there and move this arm, and I just need you to move it slightly so that I can loosen this thing up and bring this saw into the basement. And he was like, I mean, you should have seen the look on his face. He was like, <sighs> he gets in the seat. I mean, grin I mean, he could not have been grinning anymore. I mean, it was like, it was like I just handed him manhood. Here you go, son. You can operate heavy equipment now. Um, you know, uh, maybe we'll get him his own barbecue someday, and then real manhood takes place. Um, but he, you know, he gets in there, and, and then, like, all hell broke loose. He's like, you know, <laughs> I'm like, stop, get out, get out, stop. He did what he was supposed to, but it was very fun for him. So he's, like, excited about this thing now. And we're in the excavator together. He's, he's right between me. We're kind of driving on this thing. And he says, Dad... This excavator is my life. I'm, it is my life. And I was like, where, where, how does a child think this way? Like, this is craziness. And the thing that I thought is that that excavator, see, little boys have toys. But big boys have toys too. Little boys have toys that they love. But then big boys have toys that they love. And you know what? You and I as fathers, we have things that, we, that in reality are our life. It, like if we were riding on our excavator with our dad, we'd be saying, you know what, dad? This is my life. And what is it for you? Is it your job? Um, the success that you have? The feeling of respect that you get at different times? Like there's things that, 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 are, that have become your life. And guys, like in your family, like you, you have something that is your life. It, it is your life. And, it's, and it has a, a grip on you. And let me tell you, let me just stop right here and just, say, and just say this. This is why Christianity, the Bible, is so important. Because all other, every single other religion, all other sources can only give you idolatry. And by that I mean this. They can only trade one idol for another. This terrorism that we're dealing with, the idolatry of that we are the best, we're the only, everyone else must die. I don't know what you believe about that religion, but certainly the people who are killing right now believe that. There's an idolatry that's laden in this. Christianity says this. If anything else comes between you and God, if even good things, even your kids, your wife, 
providing for your family. If any of those things come between you and God and you're able to say, this is my life, it becomes destructive. It throws life out of balance. It makes things not work because that is not the way that God designed it. And it says in Colossians 3, 4, I, it, so I'm riding on the excavator with Marshall, and I said, Marshall, we're, we're, we're on an excavator. You know, buddy, there's a verse in the Bible that says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I said, Marshall, this excavator can't be your life. I know it feels like it. And do you know why I'm telling him that right now? Because it's not going to be an excavator tomorrow. It's going to be a girl. After his voice starts screeching and all that stuff, I mean, it's going to be a girl. It's going it, to it's, it's be something. And he's going to destroy himself. He's going to destroy the life of this woman because he's made her into an idol. And he's worshipped and served the created thing rather than the creator who is God. So a father, first of all, sets the tone for spiritual growth in the home. Secondly, the father sets the tone for righteousness in the home. The father is communicating to the son, this is evil and this is moral. The absurd notion, the lie from the pit of hell that children need to, to discover themselves to be who they are leads us to where our country is at today. Now, I'm not advocating for fundamentalism. I'm not advocating for what used to be called the moral majority or the, the right-wing extremism I'm not advocating those things, but I do want to note something, and that is that when our country had an understanding of sin, righteousness, right and wrong, that things were a little bit better, all right? There were hundreds of mass shootings last year. There will be this year. What's happening? What's happening? People are growing up without fathers, without the direction in their life that's saying, this is moral and this is immoral. My son, hear what I'm telling you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's chapter one that says, don't follow these people. Don't go after them. Don't, don't listen to what they say. They're, they're dragging you into this evil behavior. But our society says, let these children grow up and de determine their sex determine what they believe is right, determine what, what they should do in their life, determine um, what is right and what is wrong, and yet somehow there's some semblance of morality. I mean, I, who decides that? Who has decided what is right and wrong? Who gets to decide that? Only them? Or does it come from another source? The father sets the tone for righteousness, what is right and what is wrong in the home. But here's what this should also do. It should scare you, men. It should scare you because of this. There is no one righteous. There's not even one. Every single one of us is fallen. And if you live in your home and act like you have it all together and you never repent for your sin and you never apologize, you will create a standard for your children that they will never be able to reach and or they're going to see you for who you are, which is a complete hypocrite. And so that's where many men get, are, are broken is that they're like, I'm sinful, I see that, I'm not overcoming my sin, and so therefore I can't communicate on sinful issues because if I do, then I'm a hypocrite and I don't want to be a hypocrite, and so they don't lead their kids. Here is the salve for that wound. The father sets the tone for humility in the home. The father sets the tone for humility in the home. And what is, what is humility? 
Humility is, 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 is a disposition within your life that says this, I'm not always right. Humility in the home says this, I'm not perfect like, uh, like this passage. I, I don't even have the right words to say. I couldn't speak like Solomon or like God does to us in his word. I can't do that. I can't figure that out. I, a, a true father who's going to create well-adjusted children to the best of his ability by God's grace is somebody who repents often. Repents often. I, I, I mean, I, I really, I, I hate talking about um, myself in some ways. Uh, I've said this before. I don't want to create, to, to, to somehow cause me to be the hero of these stories. Um, because I, I just, I just want to tell you that, I, that I'm, I'm no hero. I just have to talk about my life a lot. And I, and I think that might be the most helpful thing here. Is that I've, I've told you that the way that I speak to my kids is like, I, I have to change. Like, I just get into the middle of projects and I just start barking at my kids. And then I can start to feel that. Like, my kids, they're, they're like, Dad's angry, let's get out of here, you know? My oldest son doesn't, he's like, I don't really want to work right now. I want to go do my own thing. And I mean, that's, that's my issue, is that like, I have, I have not quite figured that out, and I keep running into it. And so my mental process is always going like, ah, oh. I mean, it started the other day. Like, I'm, I'm trying to put these things aside. I love, I love, love my grass, right? Um, I love grass. Not, the, not that kind of grass, but the, the the, uh, yeah, the grass on, in my yard. And so there was a hammock on two trees, and my children, I mean, it sounds like a tornado when they're on it together. The kids are, like, being thrown off. I mean, they'll start whipping this thing up and down, and then, like, a kid will, like, take a bam, you know, just, like, hits the ground. And it's, it's so irritating to hear the fighting all the time. And then to top it all off, I go out there, and there's, like, you know, a mud you know, hole underneath the uh, hammock in my freshly mowed grass, right? And so I'm, I, it's driving me crazy. And so what I've been trying to do is, is, is just say, my grass is not as important as my children. And you may think, you know, Matt, that's, that's should you be the one preaching right now? I mean, like, is there, is there not somebody else that, we, that has figured this out already, made some progress in this? But, like, this is the stupidity, this is the insanity that's going on in my mind right now where I'm just going, like, I, I have to understand that my grass is not as important as my children having fun. The project that I'm working on right now, it, 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 the only thing that matters is not getting that project done. No one's going to die if that project doesn't happen right now. It's only going to go a little bit slower. But you know what is going to happen? Is that my child is going to be able to work with me and he's going to learn things. And I'm, I'm going to sit there and wait. And so, uh, again, my, a lot of my stories come down to my oldest son, but he, um, he whittled the dickens out of one of my carpenter pencils and, and made, with painter's tape, a mechanical pencil out of a regular pencil, if you can imagine this. And so it was like, so my child comes, comes up to me and says, Dad, instead of always having to sharpen your pencil, like, I have made you a mechanical pencil. And if, you, if any of you tell him this, I'm going to hurt you, but um, my anger's going to come out, and uh, you don't want that. And, and so he, here I am. I'm like, I do not need a mechanical pencil that really doesn't work that well. We'll say that quietly, right? I mean, I'm like having to hold the lead, and I'm very frustrated having to bend over my back's hurting and all this stuff. And, and uh, I'm just like, I just need to mark a line, child. Like, gosh! And I just... Give me a pencil, just a. And so uh, he hands me his mechanical pencil, and I have to hold. You know, I've got to hold the lead so it doesn't go back up in the pencil. And, and so, but I'm like, my child has created something, and he wants to feel good about this. I've had to do this. I've had to do this. I've had to just say it can go slower. 
It can go slower. The father sets the tone for humility in the home. My pride and my arrogance comes out when I say, you're not as important, child, than what I'm trying to do right now. My pride and my arrogance comes out when I refuse to apologize. And I've had to apologize often, very often, to say to my son, but I screwed up today when I, when I raised my voice, and I want you to know that I'm working on that, and I'm so sorry that I keep doing that. And that's just where I'm at, guys. I'm like, I just keep having to do that. I keep having to apologize. I think that's the best thing that I can tell you today is that like, there, I'm having to grow in humility. Lastly, I can't leave this out. The father sets the tone for sexual purity in the home. The father sets the tone for sexual purity in the home. Dad, do you love mom more than anybody else? Is she the apple of your eye or are there others? Dad, is your sexual purity incredibly important because you will pass that on to your kids? Solomon has communicated to us that dads are watching over their children and they're, they're showing them what's right. They're speaking to them spiritually. They're talking with them. Uh, they're replicating. They're communicating humility. They're communicating sexual purity. And they're saying, this is the way to live, son and daughter. And so dads, if that's you, that's a fantastic thing. But I just want to briefly say this, that in all areas, all of us have blown it. Every single one of us. Uh, are sexual sinners. Every single one of us uh, have problems in our lives. Every single one of us communicates a lack of humility. But let me just tell you this, that in order to be a Christian, you have to be somebody who says this, what God says about me is true. What God says about me is true. That at the core of my being, I'm a sinner and that I'm in need of grace. And so when I repent to God and to others, what I'm saying, I'm saying the same thing. I'm agreeing with God and I'm saying, that was evil, that was unrighteousness in my life, that was not true, that was not right. And what, what I'm saying to God when I come to him is I'm, is I'm saying, God, I believe what you're saying about me is true. I believe that you know the best way. I believe that you're righteous, that I am not a law unto myself, that what I believe and what I think is not the only true thing here. It's only true insofar as you affirm that. So the basis of Christianity is humility. The basis of Christianity is saying this, that I am unlike God, but God has made a way. Guys, the way that you become somebody other than who you are right now, the way that you grow in this is through Jesus Christ because God creates a model, a perfect model. Humanity screws that up in the garden and as a result, because of one man's sin, all sinned. Because of Adam's sin in the garden, every single one of us is sinful. Every single one of us has sinful propensities. Let me just tell you, our world is saying this. No, not everything I do is sinful. I decide what's right and what's wrong for me, but the Christian says this, what God says is true about me. What God says is true about me. God is the one who gets to decide whether I'm right or I'm wrong, and he's the one who's shown me that I am wrong, but he's made a way. And so how Jesus works in our life is this, is that Jesus comes and he lives perfectly. He lives absolutely perfectly. He's the one and he's the only one who has ever fulfilled to the letter God's word in, in, in uh, uh, Proverbs. Forgot Proverbs. He's the only one who can completely fulfill this. He's the only one who can say, I have perfectly done this. And so you know what happens then? Is that when Jesus comes and he perfectly fulfills that, and then we receive him by faith, what happens is this, is that at first, I'm at enmity, I'm, I'm an enemy of God, Jesus comes and by the power of the Spirit, he comes into my life and when God sees me, he sees Jesus. When God sees me, he no longer sees a sexual sinner. What he sees is he sees Jesus. 
And so what this means is that what happens is this, and I could read you some scriptures on this, but I won't right now, is that adoption takes place. That somehow, even though I may have grown up without a great father, some of you have grown up without dads, without an example in your life, and some of you didn't have that. And so you're like, I don't know how to live, but God becomes your father. You become an adopted son or daughter of God. And what happens is this, is his complete and total approval of you because of Jesus. His complete and total approval is this, forgiveness of sin, cleansing from that sin, both initially and throughout your life. And what does this do for us? It gives us a model as a great father, but it also helps us change to become great fathers. The only way to become a truly great father is through Jesus Christ. If you're not walking with him, if your life is not in tune with him, if you have not said this and, and, and said this from the heart, that truly he is the son of God and I must give my life to him. If that has not been your cry, and that cannot be true of you, that cannot be true of you, morality will not work. You must have Jesus. He's the only one that can make us moral. He's the only one that can make you a good father. Guys, I hope that today you've heard some good, good advice, but I, I hope that you've also heard good news that's going to change your life. I'm praying for that for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, this morning, for Father's Day, a day to celebrate dads. And God, I just I want to thank you for so many dads in this room that are working so hard. Um, some of them are forgetting their families, perhaps, and some of them are, are being harsh with their kids and their wives like I have been in, in the past. But God, we're praying that by the power of your spirit that you would change us from the inside out. You have come in. You've made us new. You've made us into a, a new creation. Lord, we're praying that you would change us. Lord, that we would be a shining light on, on, on a hill in our city that, Lord, could create change uh, among the fatherless, uh, along, uh, among the families that are um, distressed. God, may we, be, may we come in and comfort those who need, need your comfort. We ask this in your name. Amen.